Before I have you stand so we can read our text this morning, I wanted to continue to encourage you to get your prayer requests up into these prayer bowls every Sunday. They will be prayed over at least, when we get them, at least once a month by one person private, or however they receive that. We send them out and you'll be prayed for often. I also want to encourage this, or call our trumpet bowl, which are the, how God has answered our prayers. And I wanted to read one to you. I'm going to read it anonymously. I had a prayer a few years back about a family that was, that was heading toward divorce. They have since stayed together. The kids, are, the kids and couple are happy and continue to grow stronger every day. Thank you for praying. Those are the kinds of things that God's doing. In fact, uh, this week, I, I was introduced to a, a brother, and he had an encounter with the Lord very recently, but he really didn't know exactly what happened. So as I'm talking to him, I said, do you know what it means to be born again? And he really didn't know what that was. So I took him to John chapter 3 and just started reading. And it was like Nicodemus was there. Just kind of talking about this whole thing of being born again. So we're praying that the Lord will continue to open our, just our hearts and eyes to see what's going on. And God is bringing people to know him. And we're praying that. We've been praying for that. Today we start the Gospel of Mark. So I wanted to preface it was saying that I'm going to be giving a what I call a Jesus call, because we're not calling people to an altar, we're calling people to Jesus. It's not an altar call, it's a Jesus call. And so I want to be giving you an opportunity, anyone that's here today or as we go through the gospel, to receive Christ as your Savior. We'll be doing that by hand up, stand up, walk up, and we're going to give it up. So hand up, I'm going to, before the end of this study, I want to give you an opportunity, if you're here or watching even, to acknowledge that you want to be, you need, either you want to be saved or you're really not sure what that all entails, hand up. I'm going to ask you to stand up so you know, not to embarrass you, but rather you're standing up and then walking up to one of these tables on either side where we have information. People can talk to you. They can pray for you. If you want to receive the Lord or you need some encouragement, that's where it's going to happen in this sanctuary on Sundays as we go through the Word of God. And I would, I'm just thankful for what the Lord's doing. Uh, in our church here. It's been fantastic. So with that, would you stand, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're gonna, I'm going to read 1 through 15, and then I'm gonna, we're going to do a little short Psalm 93, the eternal reign of the Lord, uh, and in a responsive reading manner. So in Mark chapter 1, I'm using the New King James Version. You might have a different version. That's okay. We're going through the Word of God, and there are many different ways that they've, that they've translated it out of the Greek So here we go. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, And were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. 
Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him, Jesus, into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Lord, we are so thankful for the gospel. The good news that you've given to us that through Jesus Christ, the work that he accomplished for us is complete for our salvation. That you have, you came, Jesus, you came into this world to die on a cross, to, be, to rise again the third day, ascend in heaven, and therefore the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, announced to the world. There it is, Lord, right there. Thank you for that. We worship you, Lord. I pray, Lord, the things I prepared, you break them fresh. Bless this time we have in the word, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Responsive reading, Psalm 93. I'll do the odd, first and odd, if you would follow with the second and fourth verse. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. The flood, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Everyone said, Amen. You can be seated. So, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Little introductory information. Mark writes with beautiful simplicity. It's kind of serenaded by a dynamic and moving narrative. He uses the word immediately 36 times, emphasizing Jesus' actions more than his, mess, his teachings. There are a couple of longer discourses that we'll be getting to. He repeatedly draws our attention to Jesus' service and his sacrifice. He awakens our minds to the humanity of the Son of God or the Son of Man, 14 times in Mark. According to Mark, it's a kind, the gospel is a, really a transcription of Peter's personal testimony to the beauty and humility of Jesus. The apostle Peter called Mark his son. It is believed that Mark, John Mark, probably wrote this, or probably uh, was about 12 years old, when Jesus was crucified. Many believe in, the, in Mark, we'll get to this, that he's the one that fled naked when they came in to arrest Jesus in the garden. This same Mark was the one that Paul had problems with because Mark was on the first missionary journey and Paul the apostle was frustrated because he left. And so Paul refused to go with him on another missionary journey. It became a problem between him and Barnabas' relationship. Barnabas was Mark's cousin 
So the same John Mark, after many years, he became a proved faithful brother and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it just reminds me, things can change. Would you say amen? God can change us. He can grow us up, and that's what he desires to do. So the almost universal testimony of the early church fathers is that Mark wrote this gospel primarily to the Gentile Roman Christians. So as we go through the gospel, we will see that Jewish customs are explained because we have a Gentile audience. Some Jewish elements are eliminated. There are no genealogies. Aramaic expressions are translated into Greek. The Roman method of reckoning time is what's used throughout the gospel. Few Old Testament quotations or references of the fulfilled prophecies are used. We're going to look at one of those, not that's in here, but we're going to look at one of those prophecies this morning. Mark records that a Gentile centurion actually unwittingly proclaimed Jesus' deity. So he's really focusing in on a Gentile Roman Christian audience. The tone and message of the gospel are appropriate for such believers who are encountering difficulty, persecution, and they were expecting more. So John, Mark is writing this gospel. He's as, it's pastoral in its, really, its message. A caring, loving account of Jesus' love for them. The Christians in Rome had already heard and believed the gospel. So he's writing to them to encourage them. And they needed to hear it again. And we need to hear it again. Again and again. This Jesus whom we love loves us, cares for us, and wants our lives to be changed in the, into his image. In this place where they were, there was a lot of immorality. There was a lot of hostility toward Christianity, much like it is for us. And so to take to heart the, the, the nature of discipleship, and that is to know him, the only to God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Discipleship in knowing him and following him. To catch afresh the implications of what that means living in an immoral and a, and a hostile environment. And so, Mark achieves this through what is, has been called snapshots. These short little pictures of Christ. It, now, those are in his relationship mainly with his disciples. He captures how Jesus cared for them and taught them about discipleship. But listen, in the context of his crucifixion and resurrection. And what is leading up to and what that would mean afterwards. So it's personal. It's intimate. Just as it is for we need these kinds of reminders and encouragements about our Savior. So I wrote here, may the Holy Spirit of God refresh us in his care his love, and his faithfulness to us. May he refresh us in our love for others because he loves us and he loves them. May the Holy Spirit also refresh us in going into the whole world, all the world, and preaching the gospel to every creature. 
I believe that the Holy Spirit of God is stirring his church now like never before, that the gospel is the power of God into salvation, and we as believers need to be courageous and, and wise and attentive to the, to the place that we can have in a person's life where they actually come out of the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom of his dear son. What an incredible thing that we actually can preach the gospel and people's lives can be actually taken out of death into life. And I say, Lord, would you do that? Would you work among us? Almost 40% of this gospel is devoted to a detailed account of just the last eight days of Jesus' life on earth. Vividly portrayed in two ways. Number one, chapters 1 through 10, he is the servant. In chapters 11 through 16, he is the sacrifice. So those two pictures, those two things of Jesus. So the transitioning chapter, chapter 10, we read this in your Bibles, if you would. Mark 10, chapter 40, verse 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said, now they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, which was a, was a repetitive argument. Who's going to be the greatest? Now, we may not actually verbally, but in our minds, that's a battle we have. Who's, the, who's better? Who's this? Who's that? So they're arguing about that, and Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that those who are considered, this is chapter 1042, are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet, and now they've been with him, watching him, observing. He says, yet, so this is the authority of God himself who loved them, was faithful to them, called them. It shall not be so among you. It's to be different. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Now that is upside down from, from worldly thinking. Then he said this, key verse. Even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's the gospel. The gospel one mightier. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Spirit baptizer, the prophet, the preacher, and the king came to give his life a ransom for you and for me. That's the gospel. So the beginning of the gospel of the Son of God, four things as an outline if it's helpful. The gospel, one mightier. One mightier than the messenger. One mightier is the message. One mightier than sin and Satan. And one mighty king and his kingdom. That's what we're looking at in these first 15 verses of chapter 1. The introduction, the beginning of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written, verse 2, in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, in other words, God went on record. This is what's going to happen. In Isaiah chapter 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In Malachi chapter 3, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in which you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God went on record and said a messenger is coming. 
Now, this has, this has fulfillment in a couple different ways, but Jesus identified the messenger as John the Baptist. John the Baptist himself identified himself as that messenger. In the Bible Knowledge Commentary, writes this, quote, the coming of this messenger was to be the first of a twofold eschatological event. The second step would be the coming of the Lord in his day, unquote. So here this messenger is coming, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. God spoke and God broke the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is now the appointed time in God's unfolding revelation of his planned, promised, and prophesied visitation. Behold, your king is coming. Behold, make way. He, he's coming to visitation in person. The Savior who saves us from our sin. That's who John the Baptist is announcing. This one mightier than the messenger, John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his pastor. No, get ready for the visit of the king. The wilderness, he says there, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way. In the wilderness, preaching repentance. In the wilderness, tempted by Satan. You see, the wilderness in the Bible, the picture there is characteristic of the spiritual condition of this world. No water, dry, uncultivated, barren desert, desolate wasteland, spiritually speaking, a fallen world. Unoccupied or unfit for human settlement. A place of wandering and temptation. The voice is crying in the wilderness of a fallen, broken, barren, desolate, and deadly world. The gospel, the message. It was the wilderness of a fallen world that the voice called and Jesus came. And are you not thankful for that? God spoke many years before it ever happened said, I'm coming. The messenger will, be, will go before me. And so John came, baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Verse 5. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan, notice, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and honey and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist is this prophesied messenger, this prophesied prophet. A teenage boy had just passed his driving test and asked his father as to when they could discuss his use of the car. His father said he'd make a deal with his son. You bring your grades up from a C to a B average, study your Bible a little, and get your hair cut. Then we'll talk about the car. The boy thought about that for a moment, decided he'd settle for the offer, and they agreed on it. After about six weeks, his father said, Son, you've brought your grades up, and I've observed that you have been studying your Bible, but I'm disappointed you haven't had your hair cut. The boy said, You know, Dad, I've been thinking about that, and I've noticed in my studies of the Bible that Samson had long hair. John the Baptist had long hair. Moses had long hair. And there's even strong evidence that Jesus had long hair. 
The father responded, did you also notice that they all walked everywhere they went? John the Baptist was a fiery and yet humble servant of God, a messenger. He was different. He was unique in God calling him. And God always creates and, and, and prepares us for what he's called us into. So here's John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, came in the spirit and power of Elijah. He called out the Pharisees, as a brood of vipers, Jesus did the same thing. But John the Baptist called out these religious leaders. And then he called out King Herod for his adultery. And he lost his head over it. Baptism, full immersion, was nothing new. This whole idea of baptism. The Jews required any Gentile wanting to proselytize to Judaism to be baptized. What is new is that the Jews were the ones being baptized. This required, this required repentance, acknowledging that they were wrong before God. Repentance is a change of mind that changes one's ways. It's turning from the old life of sin. To come to Christ is a choice and a door open through repentance. Acknowledging that you're not right with God. I'm not right with God. Turning from the old life of sin. A change of mind resulting in a change of direction. And that leads to a change in how I think and how I behave. One of those changes, what is your worldview? How do you look at the world in which we live? What are the lenses through which you see what happened? What's the problem? You see, that changes as a believer. We understand now what the problem is, that man sinned against God, and there was a fall that took place, and thus sin entered the world, and it's a mess. Why is it? Because of sin. And so dealing with the world, living in the world as a believer, gives a whole different worldview. They were confessing their sins. That means saying the same thing that God says about sin. You see, the world, and even the church, wants to change the definition of what is sin. God has told us this is sin. And the, the, the wage of sin is death. The payment for sin, what happens if sin is not repented, is death. Separation. Relationship ruin. Now, John identifies Jesus as a baptizer with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist's baptism was ceremonial. It was the outward expression of repentance, inward repentance, being baptized. Jesus' baptism, on the other hand, was supernatural. The receiving of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So the baptizer baptized you with the Holy Spirit. That's supernatural. This baptism of the Spirit was ex an expected work of the coming Messiah. We just got done studying the book of Acts, chapter 2. Then he quotes Joel, chapter 2, verse 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh... Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also on my maid ser men servants and my maids, I will pour out my spirit in those days. That is describing, identifying scripturally what just happened in Jerusalem with the church being birthed by the Holy Spirit coming down upon them and, give, and tongues being spoken. What's going on here? This is, no, this is God 
who's manifesting now his promise of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascended to heaven. There he poured out the Spirit. He's the Spirit baptizer. In Ezekiel chapter 36, I will put my Spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgment and do them. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to touch on water baptism. Because this is commanded of Jesus, by Jesus, and therefore every believer is to obey that and be baptized. Our next baptism will be on Easter Sunday, April 9th. There will be before that, the Sunday before that, while we're doing our services here in both 9 11 a.m., a, a class on baptism for your understanding and preparation for being baptized. Do you need that class? No. Do you need baptism to be saved? No. That's not, that, that's not what baptism is. But it's an outward expression of something that's happened in your life, and Jesus commanded it. It was taught in the book of Acts, practiced in the book of Acts, and taught in the epistles. That's why we do that. Baptism is important, and I want to encourage you. Now, baptism publicly identifies you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a public expression of your obedience to the command of Jesus. Baptism publicly expresses your faith in many truths. This is, so, this is a, 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 an expansion. Why would you be baptized? Why is it important? Here's why. It publicly expresses your faith in many truths. What truths? God is triune. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In a baptism, it's the declaration that we believe in a triune God. That your sins have been washed away. That you have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Your old life is buried. Your new life raised now in Christ. That Christ, God, has given you a new life. All those things and many other in baptized. So it's important that we do that. It doesn't save you. It's a command of Christ. So therefore, in so doing, it strengthens your heart in the assurance of your salvation. Is my assurance based on doing? No, but because I've done what I've been commanded, I can still remember as though it was yesterday, when I was 10 years old, being baptized. Such an important event in my life. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And that was 60 years ago that I was baptized in April of 1963. So one mightier is the message. Point number two. A message was preached, yes, but the one mightier is the message. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You have there the Trinity. You have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and you have the voice, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit testifying to this one who is the message. It's Jesus. So Jesus' baptism, three things. Number one, he was standing in line. Now picture that a moment. I picture it by, imagine myself standing in a lineup of criminals. It would be uncomfortable. Imagine the Son of God standing in line with sinners. There, identifying himself completely as being fully man among mankind. He became one with us in our lowly state. In Philippians chapter 2, who being the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal to God. He wasn't trying to be God. He is God and he knows that. 
but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That's our Jesus. Standing in line. He fulfilled all righteousness. Matthew points this out. He fulfilled all righteousness. He lived a perfect life. He made no confession. Said he had no sin to confess. He was standing in line. He was also submitting his will in this baptism. Submitting his will in perfect submission to the will of the Father. In other words, he's in full agreement, fully surrendered, fully submitted to his Father's plan and purpose for his coming. Standing in line, submitting his will, and then surrendering his life. His baptism, fully identified as a man, would be in his suffering as the Christ, the perfect God-man, in a sin-fallen sinful world. So his baptism, his immersion in being a human being was this perfect God-man as the Christ living and growing up in a sinful and sinful world in rebellion against God. But it wasn't only his suffering as the Christ. It was his suffering on the cross as the Son of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the sin of the world is placed on him. Wow. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. The cross. His suffering. He was without sin, but not without sorrow. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief was the son of God, the son of man. He would be fully immersed in all that being human entails. Yes, the pleasures, but the sufferings, the temptations as the son of God. He would go all the way as the perfected son. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the advocate with the father for sinners. Jesus, the substitute sacrifice for our sin, through which he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. All that was Hebrews. We just got done studying. That's my Jesus. Second Corinthians says, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an exchange through our, through our Savior. He would hang in our place on the cross. And finish the work for the remission of our sin. It is finished. Wow. One mightier is the message. It's our Jesus. A mighty message was preached. The one mightier is Jesus. The message here is no better no better place to go than Isaiah chapter 52. And I'm going to put it on the screen. I'm going to just read through this. Let us capture our hearts once again as far as this place that Jesus himself came to, to save us from our sin. In Isaiah 52, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. 
And his form, more than his sons of men, literally means he was beaten so mercilessly you couldn't even just, he, wouldn't even look, he didn't even look like a human being. The crucifixion. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. As, and as a root out of dry ground, wilderness. He has no comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should decide. He looked just like a normal human being. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But (laughs) he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and he will declare his, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off, that's a violent end, cut off from the land of the living, a violent death. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. We're going into a kingdom when Jesus will reign. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. And then you go to chapter 54. It's the glorious kingdom. Wow. Does that need any commentary? Only the commentary of the Holy Spirit to my heart, personally, intimately. This is my Jesus. This is the one mightier, the message. He's mightier than sin and Satan. Verse 12 of Mark chapter 1. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the world. This is a very forceful word, drove. It's used of driving out demons. It's not that he was reluctant, but that he had an intense preoccupation in his mind, knowing what he's going into. He was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. It wasn't to find out if he would fail, but rather to prove he would not. Thank God. He was tempted with every human capacity to choose for himself whether he would do what God, the will of God, or not. They were real temptations of sin. Yet the Bible tells us without sin. Real temptation to sin, but Jesus never sinned. This was only the beginning 
of his encounters with the tempter. All along the way, he was fighting this battle, this spiritual battle against these, Satan himself. Now, I've been tempted, I'm sure, by many demons, but I don't think I've ever been tempted by the devil himself. But you know, this is full-scale, all-out war. That Jesus, all his life, battled. Jesus not only made himself of no reputation, he humbled himself in surrendering his life to extreme suffering for us. So Philippians goes on, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He's mightier than sin. He's mightier than Satan. Conquering them. And finally, one mighty king and his kingdom. Are you kingdom-minded this morning? Thy kingdom come, Jesus included in that pattern for prayer. Thy kingdom come. The end of the book of Revelation, come quickly. Set up your kingdom. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, here it is. Repent and believe in the gospel. John was imprisoned by Herod and eventually beheaded. We'll get this whole story Full story in Mark chapter 6. So this marks this transition from the messenger, John the Baptist, to the message or the person of Jesus Christ. Right here. The word, the kingdom of God in Mark is used 15 times. You might even say 16 because in 1110 it says, on Palm Sunday, blessed is, is the kingdom of our father David. It's the same promised kingdom that God promised to David in which Jesus will reign as king of kings and lord of lords over the kingdom of this world, the kingdoms of this world. In Mark, you get a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. You get a kingdom rising against kingdom in the end times. So the kingdoms of this world are very different, but they, have been, they will be totally tramped over in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of David. King Herod said to Herodias' daughter, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. We get that story, too, in chapter 6. So here I want to speak to you who might be listening, watching, or here, who don't know Christ. He's not your king right now. You have an idea of some, what a kingdom might be, but you have no idea as far as the promises of the kingdom of God. Entrance into the kingdom of God is through the preaching of the gospel and then through repentance and believing the gospel by bowing in full submission to the king. The kingdom is coming. Have you bowed your knee and declared Jesus as your Savior, Lord, and King? Have you done that? Have you repented? In other words, turn from your way of life. Turn from your sin. And turn to Christ in repentance. And ask him to forgive you. Based not on you or me or anyone else. But based on Jesus Christ. Who came and died on the cross for your sin. I would ask the believers right now to pray. Just pray and be praying. 
Is that you this morning? Have you been saved from your sin? Do you know what's going to happen when you die? You see, these are assurances that come only through the gospel. And the proven gospel of Jesus Christ, historically, and in many other ways, that this happened. And you know what Jesus said? Here's the battle. Here's the importance of it. You who do not believe or have not. Jesus said, therefore, whoever confesses before men, me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I, also, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. It's a matter of will you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Son of God, Son of Man, and Savior of the world? The one to whom you will give, you will give allegiance by turning your life over to him. So there are three things I'm going to ask. Number one, raise your hand up so I can acknowledge your decision. As, the, as believers in this room are praying, just raise your hand up and say, yes, I... Now, maybe, maybe you're here and you aren't really sure and don't understand it completely. Well, I'd say put your hand up right now. And there's going to be people, I'm going to ask you to, to stand up and just walk up to these tables where there will be people there to talk to you, to pray for you. It's the most important decision you will ever make in your whole life. It's the decision you make between life and death, between eternal life and eternal death. That's the decision. And God has made it and laid it out so clearly through his son that he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? There will be people there that can, can talk to you about that. And we'd love to do that because it's so important to acknowledge your sinfulness before God. That something's not right between you and God. To repent of your sin as you understand it in not being right with God. In things that aren't, and that can be just thoughts. It can be in actions. It can be in things you've done that are sinful. And then through Jesus Christ, ask for God's forgiveness. Please forgive me. And I remember that day for me as though it was yesterday also. This transaction between God and my soul. And as I believe the gospel, as Romans says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He says, therefore, with the heart. Now, the heart in the Bible is everything about us. With the heart, with my mind, my emotions, my will, the heart, who I am in essence, that the heart one believes unto righteousness. In other words, I understand there's something that's not right, but I want to be right with God. So with my heart, I get that. I understand that. And then he says, linear, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It is open to anyone, whosoever will may come. Is that you this morning? As we bow, would you believe it? Just bow your head a moment, pray. I'm going to ask you, just hand up if that's you in this room, and you want to get right with God this morning. Between you and the Lord, not anyone here in this room. One more moment. We're praying. And we're praying. To, if Right now, you're battling that decision. We get that. We understand it. We've all been through it. There's a battle going on for your soul. That's how incredibly important this is. Eternally important. Okay, now if I might close in just speaking to us as believers.
knowing that the kingdom of God is at hand, the gospel is our great commission. In Mark, the end of the book, it says in chapter 16, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I like that. In other words, you can practice on your dog, <laughs> your cat, whatever creature. Practice preaching the gospel. Do you know the gospel? Can, if someone were to stop you and say, how can I be saved? Would you know what to say to them? And then he says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. He who does not believe and is baptized, doesn't say it. He who does not believe shall be condemned. So then, verse 19, in closing the book of Mark, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through them, through the accompanying signs. And then he closed the book, amen. That's what God wants to do. As we go out to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, he will follow it up with maybe invisible things we don't see, but God is there. It's through the gospel and the preaching of the gospel. Listen to what Paul said. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Do I know how that works? I don't know how that works, but I know that's how God works. Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And notice, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. He's stumbling over his words. But he's, he's giving them the truth, the gospel. It says, but a demonstration of the spirit and of the power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. May God help us that we would be courageously and confidently and God opening doors to us to talk to people about their need for Jesus Christ and how he loves them. And I need that re-up for myself as much as anyone in this room, that my life, my words are in God's hands to use me as he wants to do. And God wants to bring people to salvation through the gospel. And we've been praying for that for our church, Monday nights. First Monday, I think it is. It is. We've been praying for souls and just asking God to move because if the Lord doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. But here's the deal. God wants to do that. What about loved ones in your family? What about people that you know are not walking with God? They're in danger and peril of hell itself. What, what about them? I'm saying to you, as, to myself, as much, we need to pray for them, believe God, and then maybe it's not them directly. But as we're praying for them, God's going to, be, going to refresh us again that everyone that we see is Jesus died for that they might know him. And he'd stir us up in these things of preaching the gospel. The gospel is mightier than the messenger, as Paul just said. The message itself is the power of God unto salvation. So as the, as the worship team comes out, I wanted to, this song came to mind. I didn't ask Sophia to do it because it was too late. How many of you know we have a story to tell to the nations? 
This is the second time I've got a song and nobody knows it. <laughs> how many knows? Okay. Here's how it goes. We have a story to tell to the nations that shall turn their hearts to the right. A story of truth and mercy, a story of peace and light. We have a song to be sung to the nations that shall lift their hearts to the Lord, a song that shall conquer evil and shatter the spear and sword and shatter the spear and sword. We have a message to give to the nation that the Lord who reigneth above has sent us his son to save us and show us that God is love and show us that God is love. We have a savior to show to the nations who the path of sorrow has trod that all of the world's great peoples may come to the truth of God, may come to the truth of God. And here's the refrain. For the darkness shall turn to the dawning and the dawning to moon daylight, light. And Christ's great kingdom shall come on earth, the kingdom of love and you want to try that with me? Stand up and try it. My little choir here. <laughs> For the darkness shall turn to the dawning, and the dawning to noonday bright. And Christ's great kingdom shall come on earth, the kingdom of love and light. Now it's your turn. <laughs> no, you have a song. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's my song.